This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. Today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 11, Mandala. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, co-host, out in Colorado, Zach Crippen. Zach, how are you? Doing great, Josh. Super excited for this episode. One of the greatest. I mean, we just had Saul Goodman a few episodes ago introduced to the show. Now we have Gustavo Fring, who I have to say is one of my favorite enduring characters in the Breaking Bad universe. I love Saul Goodman. And I love Gustavo Frang almost as much. Can I give you a hot take, Zach? Let me hear it. I love hot takes. I don't know if you're going to like this hot take. Oh, no. But I actually don't really love this episode. Now, I will caveat that by saying the introduction of Gus is great. But I had more possible nominees for worst scene than I did for best scene here. Okay. So... I do think there are some great moments, great scenes in this, but as a whole, I don't think it quite continues the the high we were on for the past three episodes we've been talking about. And that might be a hot take, or maybe it's just a lukewarm take, because other people might not like this one as well, but I just feel like it's lacking something. I, don't, I, I can't really put a figure on what it is. Now, what I will say is that the ending of this episode, which we'll talk about in a little bit, did make me want to watch the beginning of episode 12 right away. So it does have that going for it. Like I was really interested to to watch how that one started because it ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. You're not really sure what's what's going on or and and so I wanted to watch episode 12, but I'd say overall not my favorite episode, but I will say the Gus stuff is great. Yeah, the Gus stuff is fantastic. Let me just give you my counter argument in like 30 seconds for why this is a great episode. First of all, I can see that this is not the best episode of all time. This is not an all-time you know, it's not an all-time top 10 episode even of Breaking Bad. But I still think it's a really solid episode for a couple reasons. One, we have the introduction of Gustavo Fring. Two, we have a significant development in the relationship of Jesse and Jane and where Jesse's life is headed. Three, we have Walt really kind of crossing a point of no return at the end there. And four, we have that fantastic dialogue between Walt and Gus when Walt goes back to try to convince Gus to let him cook. And I guess five, uh, we have a pretty graphic and exciting opening scene with Combo getting murdered in cold blood in, uh, in the streets of Albuquerque. I mean, there, there's a lot going on here, a lot, a lot that's packed in. There's a lot of character development that happens in the course of the 45 minutes of this episode. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with all of that. I think what I started to realize is that some of the supporting characters and I don't mean Jesse and I don't mean you know Gus and I don't mean Saul Goodman but but people like Ted Beneke or people like you know random one or two episode guest stars I feel like those actors are really weak and and it might not just be the actors but it could just be the scenes that they're given and so because we get a, a fair amount of Skylar and Ted Beneke in this episode we get some stuff with Skylar at the doctor it th- those scenes really like dragged it down for me. And so I totally agree with all of your, the points that you made and, and why this could be elevated to a great episode. But I would say, you know, we have a pretty high bar for breaking bad episodes. For me, this is just a good episode. 
Look, I think all of that's right as well. I think we're in agreement here. I mean, one thing that every every TV show that I know of is dragged down by is the, uh, maybe not quite everyone. I mean, The Office doesn't really have this problem, I don't think. But almost every TV show is dragged down by auxiliary characters being bad at their jobs, right? Being bad at acting. <laughs> and like we've talked <laughs> yeah. about this, in, yeah, yeah. you know, we talked about the oncologist before. Like all those oncologist scenes are just really kind of cringeworthy because the the guy who plays the doctor may he rest in peace, uh, is not a good actor. <laughs> and same thing with, yeah. with Skylar's OB in this episode. Like that's, that's a ridiculous scene that would never play out in any OB's office that I've ever been in, you know, as Sally and I have had three kids now. Um, and, uh, the, the we'll, we'll have to talk about this, but that cringeworthy scene in the warehouse of the Beneke <laughs> corporation, like all of those, those Beneke employees, they must have just oh, been, gosh. they must have just been like grips on the scene. They were just like, Hey, we need more people to fill out this scene. And then like, you can have a little bit part <laughs> where you complain about the candles melting. Uh, very yeah, bad, yeah. very bad. So I take your point about all of these sort of auxiliary things, but to me, it doesn't, doesn't take too much away from the, the central elements of this episode. Right, right. Okay. Well, let's jump into, well, first, before we jump into the two minute summary, you had mentioned something about, you know, the title of this episode. And so I wanted to give you just a, an opportunity to just talk about what the title might mean, because I think you did a little bit of half-assed internet research. Oh, it's it's not even half-assed. It's uh, very... <laughs> it's quarter, quarter, Qu- it's quarter-assed. Quarter-assed internet research. So uh, this episode is called Mandala, uh, and it is... Oh, I'm sorry. I just looked up... This is how quarter-assed my research was. The first sentence of the <laughs> Wikipedia description for Mandala says, emphasis on first syllable. So it actually should be Mandala. So a Mandala is I'm reading from Wikipedia is a geometric configuration of symbols with a very different application in modern, typically American and European use. Mandala has become a generic term for any circle ornament, which can be used as a relaxing tool for diagnostic tests or in art therapy. Okay. So, and there are, uh, that is a, it's a Sanskrit word. So it's an Eastern design. Um, yeah, I mean, this is like maybe even eighth ass internet research, but the idea is, it's a circular design (laughs) from Eastern religion and I was thinking about why this could be the case uh, or why this could be the title of the article. I mean, uh, the mandala, again, from Wikipedia is a diagram, chart or geometric pattern that represents the cosmos metaphysically or symbolically uh, a time microcosm of the universe. But it originally meant to represent wholeness and a model for the organizational structure of life itself. A cosmic diagram that shows the relation to the infinite and the world that extends beyond and within minds and bodies. Okay, that's a little bit uh, a little bit of a stretch, I think, for what is being intended here in this episode. But I was thinking about this motif of a circle, and I was thinking maybe there's something there. Maybe, you know, the last episode, which was called Over, we thought, or maybe more accurately, Walt thought he was over cooking meth, but now really he's back where he started, right? He's, he's uh, on this kind of circular journey. He's gone, uh, he's gone all the way around, and now he's back, right, back at the beginning again, um, doing the drug thing. Um, maybe another, another aspect of interpreting this is to look at what happens with Jesse and Jane when Jane introduces Jesse to heroin. And he has that, uh, that scene that I think we'll talk about as well, where he's kind of floating above the room, right? He's clearly, clearly attaining maybe higher would be the wrong word, but a different, an altered state of consciousness, uh, through the use of this. And that could be uh, kind of a, a reference to Mandela or Mandela could be a reference to that. So some, some ideas here, all based on my quarter ass internet research, but do either of those possible interpretations strike you as plausible or remotely plausible, Josh? Yeah, I think the the circle one makes the most sense to me. I mean, it, it's probably the most straightforward explanation with regards to the title, but 
we know at this point, you know, being 11 episodes into season two here that that most of what Breaking Bad does, if not everything, nothing is nothing is by chance. Right. You know, so I think that certainly that they named this episode what they wanted to name it. And I think your interpretation of the circular nature of of sort of Walt going back to where he was at, you know, two episodes ago being this meth kingpin cooker. I think that that totally makes sense. So I don't know if there's more to it than that. Maybe, you know, there could be. But I think that that is the most likely interpretation. Well, we'll add it to our list of questions for Vince Gilligan when he comes on the show. Exactly. That'll that'll be a special episode. All right. So let's jump into the two minute Wikipedia summary and then we'll, we'll both rate how well this Wikipedia summary did both on how well it described the episode and how well it was written. Okay, so from Wikipedia about Mandela, after one of their dealers is murdered by a rival gang, Saul proposes new distribution methods for Walt and Jesse's product. Under stress, Jesse tells Jane what he does. Saul puts Walt in touch with a meth distributor named Gus, who agrees to purchase Walt's product. However, Gus expresses concern about Jesse's drug problem, which is escalated into heroin use due to Jane's relapse. Skylar finds out that her boss at work, Ted, has been engaging in tax evasion from the IRS, but due to their past relationship, she decides not to report it. Walt receives a large offer for the short-notice delivery of the remainder of their inventory, but at the same time receives a call from Skylar, notifying him of her imminent labor. Whew, that description Mm. is bad. That might be worse than the last one. I think so. The first thing I'll say, you very charitably corrected the typo in the first sentence. I did. What it actually says is, Saul proposes new distribution method for Walt and Jesse's <laughs> product. Oh, gosh. So it's badly written. Yeah. Oof. This this is fun, though. I so like I, doing the Wikipedia summaries. It's good. It, it One, keeps us short, yeah. and two, gives us some fodder for laughter. Yeah, I will say this is, this is worse than the last one we read for season two, episode 10, because this removes any indication that there was any dramatic tension in this episode yeah it's true so for example the walt receives a large offer for the the remainder of their inventory (laughs) but then also receives a call from skylar saying she's in labor that scene is so frenetic and then there's this amazing pause which i think we'll get to later yeah that 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 the wikipedia summary just glosses over that whole thing not to mention the fact that it glosses over most of the rest of the dramatic tension in the episode yeah and i, I just love the way it I, states these things right he receives a call from skylar notifying him of her imminent labor <laughs> i mean yeah exactly yeah so first of all it's not a call it's a text but second i mean it doesn't say um you know hey honey i'm going into labor imminently or my labor <laughs> is imminent uh, rather, you know, it's yeah. all caps, baby coming. Like there, this, yeah. And that just goes to your point about this is much more frenetic than, than this is described. Uh, another thing I'll say, my impression, I'm interested to hear if you had a different one. My understanding of the whole cook the books thing at Benneke Incorporated is not that it's just tax evasion. I mean, it's certainly cooking the books and under or over reporting profits and all that stuff can be tax fraud. But my my impression is that he's just committing like, big time fraud over the books and the company itself doesn't have as much money as he even claims it does. So this affects people getting paid, you know, from, from vendors to employees and and all these things. And basically like the basic solvency of the company, not just he's trying to avoid paying his taxes. Was that your impression as well? Yeah, no, there's definitely a deeper problem there. And Ted Beneke is in hot water and Skylar 
is not dumb and she has figured most of it out. Well, um, would this be a good time to talk about this relationship between Ted and Skylar? Because this is mentioned in the Wikipedia summary. I mean, it says he's been engaging in tax evasion from the IRS, but due to their past relationship, she decides not to report it. And I don't know about you. To me, it's not clear to this point whether or not they actually have had a past relationship. There have been some like some glances between them, some comments made, etc. There was even one a few episodes ago where I think you could plausibly, maybe not probabilistically, but like you, you could plausibly interpret it as, um, you know, him, him suggesting that, uh, Walt Jr. could be his son. Now, I I think it would be a stretch to interpret it that way, but I think all we've had so far is like significant innuendo about a past there, but nothing concrete. Do you have a different impression? No, I think that, I think you're right. There's definitely that heavy implication that, that something went on, but I don't I don't think that we have had anything and I don't know if we get anything definitive. Right. Yeah, I, don't I can't think so remember, either. you know, deeper into the series, but definitely something went on and we see what you already mentioned, a very cr- cringeworthy scene between the two of them in and front of the Should we just play that now? Should we, should we go into this? Yeah, let's just Yeah, let's just talk about this now. So, you know, Skylar leaves her OB appointment with Walt and says, "Hey, I have to go back to the office because they're having a birthday party for Ted." Okay, seems pretty reasonable. Not sure why we really need to see this, but um, but yeah, we're going to see it. And you think maybe they'll just have some cake and there'll be an interaction between, a private interaction between Skylar and Ted Beneke. Well, unfortunately for all of us who had to watch it, it's not private. It is in it's front of everybody so at the bad. company. I'm it's so like, uncomfortable It's like the warehouse this. in the office. It's like the warehouse in the office. That's yeah. kind of like where they are. That's the yeah. setting. They have a big cake. He they comes in and, and they surprise him and and he says, Skylar, can you do that thing? And you already know this is going to go badly. And she says, oh, I don't really want to do it. And then for some reason, everybody else cheers her on to do this. So is this and, a thing she did for anybody else? they were getting themselves into, I think. They were just like, oh, right. our boss so, so wants they didn't her to know. do this thing. We're going to cheer it on. Right. And then, so, you know, if we had a worst scene, this would 100% have won my vote for this episode. Yeah. So this, this, we're, we're sort of bearing the lead. This is what Skylar presents to Ted Beneke. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. President of Benneke Fabricators Incorporated. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. So my first question, apart from the obvious what in the world is going on here, is... Was that just a laugh track that they inserted? Because that was supposed to be all the people around laughing. But it totally sounded like a laugh track, didn't it? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a laugh track. I think the thing about this particular scene that makes it so bad is that, first of all, if you don't know, she's she's like playing the part of Marilyn Monroe singing Happy Birthday to the President. And it's just so uncomfortable because not only is she singing it, she's getting really close to him. She's super close. Sort of this like, it's sort of like this tension between them, and it's very uncomfortable. It would be uncomfortable to watch, even if it was just the two of them. But it's in front of all of their coworkers. 
Apparently, they find part of it funny, even though that line is not funny at all. And what yeah. I dislike <laughs> I most like, about the scene. Why are you guys scene, laughing? You were, it's it's just like uh, have you ever have you ever been in a room where like the boss is there and the boss makes a stupid joke, but everyone just laughs yeah. because he's the uh-huh. boss. It, it felt like absolutely. that, right? Yeah, yeah, it felt one hundred percent. What I dislike most about the scene is that it was clearly meant to serve as a a reminder that to the audience that Skylar and Ted have a past of some sort and that there may or may not have been something going on more deeply than a work relationship, but it's just badly executed. It's not, it's uncomfortable for the audience. It's just, it's just uncomfortable overall. And there's also perhaps the worst actor in the history of acting in the scene who is trying to get them to blow out the candles. I mean, she's so bad. bad. Guys, Guys, blow out the candles. You're going to get <laughs> wax on the cake. I, I mean, as I was watching it again, just to grab this the sound clip, I was just like, she is so <laughs> bad at acting. Oh, my goodness. Hilarious. Yeah, she's she's it's like she's a parody of uh, of that. Anyway, I think this whole relationship between Skylar and Ted, I think the reason that this scene brings down this episode so much for me is because I'm just not invested in their past. Like, I'm OK with Walt being the one to sort of be the destroyer of their relationship. It doesn't do anything for me to have Skylar be quote unquote, more well-rounded to also potentially, you know what it, it looks like we're going towards her having an affair. And like, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything for me for her character or it doesn't help to like justify Walt's actions that is just that are ultimately destroying his family. And so I think that's why I'm just not really into this whole storyline. Yeah, I have a slightly different take on that. I mean, I think the storyline itself, I'm actually kind of into because I think the storyline shows us the ripple effects that one person's actions can have, right? It's, it is not her potential affair that is, that is contributing to Walt's downfall, but rather Walt's downfall that is contributing to her potential affair, right? Because he's robbed her of the emotional support that she needs. He's not around all of this stuff. And I'm not absolving uh, Skylar of, of moral agency here. I mean, like what she's doing is her choice. But I'm also not saying that um, Walt is, you know, guilt free in this regard, right? I mean, he he took an oath to marry her and, um, you know, to be faithful in sickness and in health. And he's not being faithful. It's true that he's not going around cheating, but he is not there when she needs him, including, by the way, for her baby that she's, you know, about to go into labor with and will be by the end of this episode. So, um, you know, I, I like this storyline. I think they sort of overplayed the storyline. They fill it with terrible acting and it's a little bit on the nose and has these like strange, uncomfortable scenes. And I think there's a maybe a better way to do the storyline. But I still like the storyline because of the ripple effects from Walt's actions going all the way back to the beginning of the show. I mean, we've just seen the trust between Walt and Skyler completely break down to the point where they don't really have a functional relationship at all anymore. Yeah, no, I see that. I guess I just I, I was sort of already there in terms of like yeah, understanding fair. their relationship. And so I don't, you know, I, I think part of it was that they needed to give Skylar something more tangible to do than be pregnant at this point in the show. And yeah. so having her go back to work and rekindle a past relationship with someone she may or may not have with a, loser, a romantic by the relationship way. with. Ted is just such a yeah. dud. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have some notes on him in the nitpicks. Well, let's let's not spend too much more time on that because it's uh it's made my skin crawl listening back to it again. So, uh, I do want to mention that the Wikipedia article, which I didn't give my rating, I will give it a three out of ten. Terrible, terrible Wikipedia. Yeah. 
I will rating. match that as well. Three out of ten. That's that's fair. Yeah. They gloss over the entire very devastating opening, which has ripple effects throughout the entire episode, and that is that the dealer that gets killed is Combo, one of Jesse's close friends, and one of the three dealers that we've come to see as an audience. So we know Skinny Pete, Badger, and Combo. And and not only is he murdered in broad daylight, he's murdered by a child. And so it's it's pretty disturbing. And it certainly has a ripple effect on Jesse, who sort of descends into drinking and drugs to sort of numb the pain as he is wont to do. And, you know, I think it's especially true because there's a moment when Jesse calls Walt to tell him what happens. And Walt's reaction is truly horrible. He said, who was Combo again? Which one was he? And so, you know, I think Jesse just descends further from that because he's like, you don't even care enough to know like who we're dealing with. Like they're not even humans to you. They're just pawns on the street. So I think that will have a ripple effect in this episode and then further episodes for Jesse. Anything else you want to say about the opening or broader thoughts and themes before we go into our best scenes, best writing and best moment? No, I think we've covered it. Okay. So interestingly enough, and I think I, I, did this on purpose just to be a little bit different. Although I do have some, some reasons why, but you and I, Zach both chose the same scene and writing, except we reverse them. So my best scene is my best is, is your best writing. And my best scene is your best writing. Did I say that right? Yep, I'm even yep, confusing myself. I'll, I'll, I will say when I was looking at your breakdown, I was like, yeah, your Josh's probably makes more sense, <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll stick with it just for the sake of being different. Yeah. So let's just, so we'll just talk through them together. Yeah. Um, but the, the first one is we'll just talk through the, uh, Walt and Jesse therapy session with Saul Goodman. This happens towards the beginning of the episode when they're trying to figure out what to do with all of this extra product. I picked it as my best scene. You picked it as your best writing, but let's hear a little bit of that conversation that they have. Let's start with some tough love. All right. Ready for this? Here goes. You two suck at peddling meth, period. So give up on trying to do it all yourselves. Hell, I'm amazed you got this far. Look, we are not going to deal with another high-level distributor. No, thank you. We have been down that road. (laughs) What, some tattooed speed freak? No. What you two need is an honest-to-God businessman, right? Somebody who treats your product like the simple, high-margin commodity that it is. Somebody who ships out of town, deals only in bulk. Someone who's been doing this for 20 years and never been caught. You know someone like that? Let's just say I know a guy who knows a guy. I accidentally cut it off a little short. What he really says at the end is, let's just say I know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love how Saul is just sort of barely connected to all of these things. But the reason that I chose this as my best scene as opposed to my best writing is mainly because I love the the visual idea that Saul is like their therapist. And they even have a moment where Saul, before that clip we just heard, Saul says, what do I look like, your marriage counselor? And I just love that they're like Jesse and Walt are fighting. They're like bickering like an old married couple. And I just like the dynamic that visually you see them sitting on a couch together and then Saul is sitting in his chair across from them. But I don't disagree with it as best writing because obviously I think it's one of the better scenes in this episode and it's just really well written. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I just chose it as best um, best scene because or best writing rather, just because I mean everything that um, uh, Bob Odenkirk as Saul Goodman is in is is really good, and it is written as a marriage counseling session, right? So I think in retrospect, yeah. I think your best scene nomination makes more sense because we also have the visual pairing that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. but it's still written as a marriage counseling scene, and so you see <laughs> Saul as the counselor who's listening to all their problems. They're going back and forth. There's this clip, by the way, is much longer than the excerpt we just played. And what he's doing is, is, is the, the kind of capstone part of that. And I just love the opening, you know, let's just uh, give a little tough love here. You two suck at peddling meth, right? Let's just call it what it is, et cetera. (laughs) And so he's resolving the squabbles between, you know, the, the married spouse here or the married spouses. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, then let's move on to the other scene we're going to talk about here, which is, I think more impactful for this episode and for future episodes as well. And that is when Gus Fring and Walt finally get a chance to meet and you picked this as your best scene. I picked it as my best writing, but let's hear a little bit about that. But then I think we can spend just a couple minutes talking through why this is so important. I was told that the man I would be meeting with is very careful, a cautious man. I believe we're alike in that way. If you are who I think you are, you should give me another chance. I don't think we're alike at all, Mr. White. You are not a cautious man at all. Your partner was late and he was high. Yes. Yes, he was. He's high often, isn't he? You have poor judgment. I can't work with someone with poor judgment. Are you familiar with my product? I've been told it's excellent. It is impeccable. It is the purest, most chemically sound product on the market anywhere. That is not the only factor. You could charge twice the current rate for what I provide and your customers would pay it. Hands down. Who I choose to do business with on my end is not your problem. You won't see him. You won't interact with him. Forget he exists. I have to ask. Why? Why him? Because he does what I say. That last part there is my favorite part of this entire exchange. And I know it's a long exchange, but I wanted to include the whole thing just so we could capture everything that's building up to that final climactic moment. And then at the, right after what I cut off, Walt adds, adds saying, uh, because I, I can trust him. But the key part is because he does what I say. And this is what we've talked about before, Josh, right? The relationship between Jesse and Walt is not one of equality. It's not one of partnership. It's one of father-son. And it's a perverse father-son relationship, but it's a father-son relationship nonetheless. And so a good father wants to mentor and train and educate his son towards independence and seek to educate him in all of the virtues so that he is equipped to live an independent and flourishing human life. The bad father, the abusive father, is the father who 
in a worst case scenario, you know, physically, emotionally, sexually, or otherwise abuses their child. But, um, you know, short of no kidding abuse is the father who just wants to control, right? Uh, just wants to control their child. And this is what we see in this scenario. Walt works with Jesse, not because he thinks that Jesse is talented, not because he thinks Jesse has promised, not because he thinks Jesse is competent or capable or intelligent or any of those things. And in fact, I think the reality is probably the opposite in each of those instances. But rather, the reason he chooses to work with Jesse is because Jesse does what he says. So this is where he's saying the quiet part out loud. And I just love this dialogue because of what it reveals. The second thing I like about it is that we see these two essentially businessmen. Now, they're businessmen in an illicit business, an illicit trade, but they're businessmen nonetheless. And they're going toe-to-toe. And the conversation takes place in a fast food restaurant, and they're just staring right at each other, unblinking, as they explain their respective positions. And it's a, it's a, it's a very impressive kind of power-jockeying dialogue that we get here. And this is a decision point. I love, I love sort of looking at moments in shows as decision points. And this is one of those for Gus, right? Will he, will he go this way uh, and go work with Walt? Or will he go that way and never speak to Walt again? That's the decision point that this, this conversation is leading to. And that's, I think, why I chose it as um, the best scene. Because it's so pivotal for this episode and the show more broadly. Yeah, I think that the scene overall has a good amount of dramatic tension, so I can totally see where you're coming from there. What I'll say about this scene in terms of the writing is less thematic and more structural for the show, but I love that it sets up the relationship between Gus and Walt. You're not sure whether it's going to be antagonistic, whether they're going to be friends, what's going to happen here, but I love that they're setting potentially someone up to be an antagonist for Walt who is on the same level or smarter than Walt. And up to this point, everybody he's dealt with in the drug dealing industry has been lesser than him in terms of intelligence, just raw intelligence. He is smarter than everybody else. And I love when Gus Fring says, we are not the same. You are reckless and careless, and I'm not. And that is so perfect because Walt goes in there thinking he's this incredible drug kingpin and he's got everything figured out, and he doesn't. And I think it's really important for the audience to see that they're that the protagonist of the show, whether or not he's an anti-hero or not, and he clearly is an anti-hero, is not perfect at what he does because that's boring ultimately for the show. So setting Gus up as his antagonist in that way is a really smart thing to do because they weren't ever going to be able to drag out Walt versus the DEA for five seasons. So they needed to introduce someone else here. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, let's move on to best moment here. I will just give mine really quickly because it's a short thing. But Zach mentioned earlier when when Jesse gets high, when he shoots up heroin with with Jane, he they do it in a really visually interesting way. And this is a small thing, but I thought that visually it was a really interesting idea. Basically, once he shoots the heroin in, the he starts to like move upwards, float essentially above the bed where they're on and the camera follows him up and then you can see Jane below sort of blurred out and she's then shooting up the heroin. But it was a really interesting visual choice for Jesse's first time with this new drug to show like physically what he might be feeling in his body. So clearly would not recommend shooting up heroin, but they did a really nice job in the show to sort of portray what the character might be feeling. 
Yeah, the interesting thing about that scene too, I mean, in addition to him sort of flying or floating above the room, was that it wasn't clear if he was enjoying himself. You know, it, like he, right. it, it was a really good acting job on Aaron Paul's part, I think, because it, you know, at points you were like, is he dying or like is he right? He even grabs his chest. Yeah, at one exactly. Point. Is he dying? Is he in pain? Is he smiling? Is he like, you know, in ecstasy? It was very, very difficult for us to know exactly what was going through his head. And there's, I think, an intentionality toward the opacity of what Aaron Paul is trying to portray there. But I I agree that it was a very interesting portrayal. Yeah. What was your best moment from this episode? So my best moment, very short. I'll just play it real quick. But I I talked about in, in reference to that Gus and Walt conversation, how I like these pivotal moments. And there's another pivotal moment at the very end of this that we already talked about where Walt gets the message that the the baby is coming. And this is when he's trying to stuff all the drugs in the bag so he can meet Gus's one-hour deadline, you know, the get you drop it off and do the exchange at a stop off the interstate. So he's trying to do this, and the uh, in the, the best timing possible, uh, the baby starts to arrive. So here's that. So he's saying not now. I love how the music sort of just fades away. And he pauses here. And then after the pause, he just puts things back in the bag and continues. So on and so forth. So that's a pivotal moment, right? He's He has this one chance, one shot. If he, if he doesn't make it, Gus will never contact him again. He's got to get all the meth there. And then his baby's also being born, right? So what does he do? Does he does he do the family man thing or does he do the drug kingpin thing? Obviously, he's doing the drug kingpin thing. And then and then we cut to credits. So that's what you were talking about, Josh, when you were saying this episode leaves you on a cliffhanger. What's going to happen next? Um, but I really like that moment. Can I ask you one logistical question about this scene? Yeah. Okay, so Walt gets the note from the guy at uh, Los Poyas Hermanos right. that he has one hour to get the drugs and meet at this stop on the interstate. Correct. So he has to rush to Jesse's house, get the drugs. He has to, first of all, figure out where they are at Jesse's house. Jesse is high out of his mind. Somehow Walt gets him to tell that they're under the sink, which Jesse is not going to remember. And that will play a pivotal role in the next episode. But oh, I, I totally forgot about that. You're right. Yeah. He thinks that someone stole them. Yeah. But we'll get to that next time. But my question is, we have to imagine it took him at least 15 minutes to get from Los Poyos Hermanos to Jesse's house. Maybe, maybe longer, 15, 20 minutes. So it's not until he gets to the house that he gets the first call that Skylar's in labor, right? So you have to imagine that it's then going to take him another 30 minutes or so to get to the stop on the interstate. Would he have even made it to the hospital before the baby was born? I mean, it seemed to happen really quickly. Like, like it seems like she was, because later in the episode, when Walt arrives at the hospital, or is this the next episode even? Next episode. Either yeah. way, we yeah. find out yeah, we find out that the baby came really quickly, like she thought she was gonna deliver it in the car, and that as soon as she got in the hospital, the baby was born. So, like I'm not absolving Walt here from not going to the hospital, but I don't really think he would have made it anyway. Yeah, so it's probably true. Might as well collect his one point two million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's very true. But he also has no way of knowing that, right? He, he, no, that's he has true. no way of that's knowing true. how quickly. He makes a bad decision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that's my best moment. How about nits to pick? So I just have two small nits to pick. And one of them is the the appointment that Skylar has with her OB. She's in the appointment and she's getting this really detailed 3D ultrasound 
Now, my wife has had one child and we're having a second child soon. I've never seen a 3D ultrasound in person in my life. I think it's like a special thing, right? Have you seen one? So I have seen one. It is a special thing, but I also okay. think that our, I think the timing is approximately right for this because I think in the like mid 2000s, the 3D ultrasounds were the new hotness and people thought these were like the most gotcha. incredible things. But, but what I'm familiar with them as is like almost a novelty thing. So you could go to an ultrasound center and pay, right, that's what I thought. pay top dollar to do this. I don't think that like the OBs were just doing it for... Yeah, like a routine. Yeah, exactly. Now maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, speculating so, here, maybe like because Scott was a little bit older, it would be automatically high-risk pregnancy and so they'd want to do a 3D ultrasound, but, but I'm, right. I'm digressing. Okay, and then my other one is really small, but Ted Beneke is wearing a tie that looks like a Fred Flintstone tie. It's so <laughs> wide. Like this dude. <laughs> it's the it's the most unfortunate tie ever. And so for that I have to pick a knit. Zach, did you have any uh, knits to pick from this I think episode? That's absolutely right. I mean, uh, you know, Ted is my biggest knit to pick. Uh not just for the tie, but just for like <laughs> his whole just character overall. acting, overall personality, really bad. We already talked about my stuff though. I mean, doctors and being terrible at acting in the show, that OB is uh, you know, horrifically bad. And uh, <laughs> the cast of extras at the Ted birthday party. Absolutely awful. And this cringeworthy. It was their moment to shine and they messed up. <laughs> they did. They did not carry it through. All right. So that just leaves us with our MVP for this for this episode. I, th- I have a feeling we're going to pick the same one, but I'll, I'll give it to you first. Who do you give your MVP for this episode? Mm, it's a tough one. Uh, so I think Walt has a good argument. Um, I think you could even say Skylar has an argument because of all the weird stuff that she's involved in and how, how she sort of drives some of the central dilemmas of the episode, but I'm hard pressed to give it to Skylar, um, given the cringeworthy Marilyn Monroe performance. Um, (laughs) my MVP here is going to be Gustavo Fring, uh, first appearance in the show. Um, very understated. In the way that he comes through first, you, if you're watching it for the first time, you actually just think he's the restaurant manager. And then you find out, oh, this is the guy. This is the kingpin, the guy who may be finally able to match wits with Walt for the first time ever. Uh, and I just, I just think that setup is really, really cool. And obviously that relationship will prove to be very pivotal as we go forward. So my vote is Gustavo Fring. What do you think, Josh? Well, he was a close second for me, but I I am going to give it to Wax Candle Girl at the... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Most valuable player, not least valuable player of all time in Breaking Bad. That would be Wax Candle Girl. Yes, No, I I will also give it to Gus. And I think that part of it is because we, we both know how his character will play out. But I think when we talked initially about MVP, it's not necessarily about who had the most flashy performance, who had the best acting performance, but rather who is most pivotal to the to the episode and right. not only is he pivotal to this episode but he is incredibly pivotal to the next several seasons of breaking bad which we know and our audience if they've watched before knows but if you're watching for the first time just know this is not the last we've seen of gustavo Fring. that's right well that leaves right, our Zach, mvp tally else? then yeah our mvp tally jesse 10 yeah walt 8 crazy 8 2 skyler 5 tuco 4 jane 2 hank 1 saul 2 Gustavo Fring to Walt Jr., a.k.a. Flynn, a.k.a. Breakfast, zero. All right, so I think that's it for Season 2, Episode 11. Mandela, Zach, anything else on this episode? No, but you crushed the pronunciation, so good job. 
Thank you, Wikipedia. And thank you for actually reading it when we got on the air, since we both at least pronounced it incorrectly once. (laughs) All right. So that will do it for this episode. And we will be back next week with season two, episode 12. We are closing in on the end of season two. For Breaking Pod, I'm Josh. And I'm Zach. We'll talk to you soon. 